It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show. Uh, here we are just a few days away from our elections, and health and wellness are still at the top of everyone's list. So I want to share the importance of keeping your immune system in tip-top shape and keeping your inflammation level down. Uh, if you go to my website, www.SynergyConnectionRadio.com, you're going to find a link to Boomers Forever Young, which is an amazing nutritional company located in St. Petersburg, Florida. And if you click on the banner there, it's going to take you into their website where you can explore their products, read their testimonials, and watch videos that explain how their products work. And I have been using their products for several years now, and I can tell you that my immune function is above 70, which is where you want to be, and my inflammation level is way below a one, which is also where you want to be. So the Gladiator Barley is one of their signature products, and that is going to help you gain strength as well as remove toxins from your body. So be sure to check that particular product out. Again, it's Gladiator Barley. And if you decide that you want to order anything from their website and set up an account, if you use my name, L-U-C-Y, in the promo code, then you're going to receive $5 off of your order. So having said that, my guest today is Lynn Cochram Murphy. And we're going to be discussing empaths and how do you know if you are one? Because I'm not sure that a lot of people do understand maybe that they're experiencing that particular sensation when they're around people and they can feel what that person is feeling. So Lynn uh, describes herself as a healer and teacher for deep, our deep lasting change, excuse me. And she works with releasing the past, removing limiting belief patterns, and helping a person to heal emotionally and physically. Um, I think, Lynn, you also do online classes and you offer theta healing, energy healing, counseling, and trauma release. And so you've really got, you know, quite a long, extensive list of things that you can help people with. Um, they can reach you at www.desertjewel.org. And is it all right for me to give the phone number out? Yes, it is. Okay. So it's 602-569-6078. And you had sent me your book, um, A Journey with Matthew. And no one would ever know that that was Matthew, by the way, the name. Um, right. But um, it's book one, Awakening. And it was a delightful read for me. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and this is your newest book, right? It is my most recent. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'm sure since this is book one, you've got book two on the way. It's in um, the process of being edited and getting ready. Yes. All right. That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to kind of begin this discussion tonight with helping people understand what an empath really is. Part of what got my interest about this is as I worked with clients, more and more of them were discovering that they were empathic, that it was a gift, that it was something they didn't really understand or know how to benefit from. In fact, it felt kind of intrusive at times. So an empath is a person who has a lot of intuition and they feel, sense, are aware of other things that go on around them. For a lot of people, a lot of empaths, this time period with COVID-19, with the chaos in the world, with the uncertainty, have felt really shaken themselves. Not because they're shaken, but because of what's going on around them, and they aren't entirely separate from that. Mm -hmm. One of the practices that I do for myself is ask myself, is what I'm feeling right now mine, or is it something else? And how and do you determine that, though? Um, I use muscle testing to know for sure. Okay. But the other thing that I find is that it usually isn't mine because I'm, I'm um, 
long, long time meditator, and I have a lot of peace inside. So my kind of go-to state is calm and, and everything is well, you know? All is good. And if I get frazzled, then I can tell that's often outside energies. Then I push them away, kind of imagine, imagine pushing them away uh -huh. energetically. I um, sometimes I'll put a golden white light around myself, kind of like around the aura, like a little bubble of, of light and protection. Sometimes I do an energetic thing called zipping yourself up. For people who have had Reiki treatments, it's similar to that. Where in Reiki, they unzip you, do the work, and then zip you up when they're done. And so it's just energetic. Okay. It's protective. Uh-huh. So being an empath is actually a gift. It's just that you have to know what it is. Otherwise, you're like, you know, can hear people's thoughts. I can, you know, I feel people's stress. I remember when I was teaching a school, I was a special ed teacher for 30 years and uh, middle school, and a student would walk into the room and go, look, Dr. Crocker, and pull up a, a boy, pull up his shirt and show me a gash on his stomach from, you know, because they're kind of like proud. I, I was out you know, riding my bike this weekend, look what happened. And, um, and for me as an empath, it, I would hurt in my stomach when, when I saw it. I would hurt in the same area. Uh -huh. And in, empaths do that. Oh, okay. Feel what other people feel. Right. Besides if they hear, sense, know. Um, for my sister, how I realized that she uh, was highly sensitive. I use those words interchangeably, highly sensitive and empaths, because they are kind of interchangeable. Um, I realized that she was highly sensitive when we were watching a movie at her son-in-law's house, and it was a Transformer movie, so there's a lot of bashing and you know, monster robots walking around and lots of noise. And he had this great sound system, so there was speakers all around us. And it was loud, for sure. She said, I can't handle this. It's too much for me. I either have to leave or I need you to turn it down a little bit. So she did a good job of taking care of herself. But that's how that much noise and that much action intensity was just too much for her. Mm -hmm. I'm a sensitive person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, having been a therapist in a school system myself, I know a lot of the uh, preschoolers and kindergarten. I was in an elementary school, so I had pre-K up through fifth grade. But a lot of the little guys, you know, that literally were empaths and they had no idea what was going on, it would overwhelm them because they could feel so much. They could feel what was going on with their teacher, with other kids in the classroom, and it was very distracting. And usually they would end up acting out, and that's how I would end up getting them. Yes. Yes, acting out because they don't know what to do. They don't know the feelings aren't theirs. They don't know any of the techniques to push them away. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to feel upset when their friends are upset. Yes. Right. Right. You know, somebody is bullied on the classroom, you know, either in the classroom or out on the playground. And, you know, these would be the little guys that would be the ones crying because they could feel what was the other person was experiencing. Yeah. yeah, it's tough enough being in school without <laughs> being an empath. Well, that's very true. So how do you get to be an empath? Is it something you're born with? I, would, I think most of the time it is, or that you have a natural capacity for it. And the way the world is changing, it's just coming out in more and more people. Because as I said at the beginning, that... Many of my clients, as I was working with them, I'd say, eventually, are you an empath? And, and we talk about what that meant, and then they go, well, I guess I am. Because they, they, knew, they knew when things were going to happen to their children or their family members. Uh, as they were happening, they could feel it. 
it was more than just intuition about something in the future, but it was like feeling like, oh my God, I feel all this danger around me. I'm going to call my daughter and see where she is. Maybe I need to talk to her. Maybe she needs to get safe and stuff like that. Okay. So it would not be considered um, like, I don't know, uh, precognition that, uh, you know, you knew something, you could feel the energetic vibrational frequency that something was about to happen. And you would say that that is different than an empath. Okay. Yeah, because precognition is knowing in advance where what I'm saying is as um, it's happening around happening. you, you're yeah. feeling it. Okay. Yeah. Like I mentioned with the chaos in the world lately, the uncertainty in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm feeling really uncertain. Like, what's going on? Wait a second. I know okay. what's going on. And it's not well, mine. Right. Yeah? But the uncertainty of what's happening and has been happening really since... March is yeah. worldwide. Um, yeah. I think every place, and so. it's and with social media and with our um, television stations, the way they're very geared towards politics and you know the COVID nineteen and the virus itself and what kind of vaccines we're going to have. It just seems to me like the focus is more on the negative than it is on the positive. And so when that happens too, people are going to feel that vibrational, I call it a vibrational frequency, but it is something that is very tangible. Yeah, it's definitely a lower frequency. And I think the news, they use sensational um, words Mm -hmm. more than they ever did before. So instead of just telling you, there's a, you know, there's an a huge fire in California, this is how many acres it is, then they give you these clips that are just so intense. Right. And then they interview people who are really upset. Right. And, and of course you're affected by that. Right, exactly. Um, I don't know when they started doing that for sure, but I'm going to say at least five years ago, and it was for um, station uh, popularity because it's like a horror movie whoever has the worst you know it's like a drive-by accident you know the uh looky looks that have to look around and see how bad the accident was and so there is this tendency with people that even though you don't want to be in the middle of chaos you look at it you know it's i don't know whether it's because thank god i'm not there or whether it's because we have this morbid curiosity. Well, there is morbid curiosity, that's for sure. Mm. Maybe also the assurance that it's happening to someone else and not me. Um, that. Um, but you know, we also like dramatic TV shows. I've never understood why people like shows where people get shot. Yes. And, and that kind of, you know, fighting and drama. But right. people like it. I have never been able to go to a horror movie. Um, even when I was young like in my teens and other kids thought it was so much fun to go Uh i absolutely had to leave so if i did go and it got too gory or too scary i just left you know i'd wait for them in the lobby or something but i i was not going to watch it because it became too real for me and um and so i suspect that that's part of being an empath and part of having this highly sensitive nature where you don't have the ability to uh, maybe put that bubble around you all the time. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a highly sensitive person's reaction. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we're spending so much time managing our feelings during the film. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's great to walk out. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of what made me interested in this topic is um, I work as an addictions counselor part time, and you take classes all the time to renew your license, keep your license. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the topics that I found in counseling training was um, being aware of your highly sensitive client. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? And I read it, and I'm like, well, that sounds like me. So <laughs> I wanted to know more. And I'm so glad that I did, because then it really matched up with, with my clients. 
And I think it's important to note that people used to be shamed for being sensitive. Probably oh, have to said to you, oh, you're just too sensitive. Well, look at, look at the ones with little boys, you know, it's like, you know, uh, boys don't cry. Oh yeah. So, you know, therefore all of your emotions are supposed to be kept inside and the little girls would be, you know, you're too sensitive or don't let them bother you. Or you'd be told, you know, something else that, uh, would be yeah. a protective nature rather than getting in touch with your feelings. Yeah. Denying them versus learning how to live with them. Right. How many times do you find like spouses that are polar opposites? You know, like maybe one of them is more of an empath and one is just real black and white. Yeah, I've seen that some too. And it's made me wonder, why did they choose each other? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe for balance in part. Maybe it does create a balance. Plus you get to learn about that, which is the opposite of you. Mm -hmm. Yin and yang there. Yeah. Yeah, that would be true. So, so if, if you, I mean, when do most people begin to recognize that this is a part of who they are, you know, that they do sense other people's feelings and, you know, then how do you help them learn to use it constructively? Good question. Um, I think some people, like the example with my sister, she's just learned that when certain things happen, she needs to speak up for herself because nobody else has a clue what's mm -hmm. going on with her. I think assertiveness training is one way to go about it, but any self-awareness practice, any part of um, the therapies like, like you use that help a person get in touch with how they feel, what's going on inside them, um, one of the phrases that I like, I think it's a recovery phrase, that we want to respond instead of react. Mm -hmm. you know, and that takes self-awareness. Yes. So I would, I would use that a lot. And then know that common triggers are car accidents. It's shocking to us to see something like that. Um, the smells of a... In the mall, when you walk by a candle store and you don't want to walk too close to the door because the smell is coming out, it's so strong. Right. Or noises, um, jarring noises like an airplane goes over your house regularly. Your stress level is up each time that happens until eventually you um, become immune to that and just realize it's just another noise. It's not a significant noise. So there are a lot of triggers like that, sight, smells, noises. Um, so being aware and then using any of the techniques, whether it's pushing energy away, putting a, a bubble of energy around you that protects you or zipping yourself up energetically, but also always know, would always want a person to know that they're at choice. They can stay and deal with it. They can stay and be upset. They can um, use the techniques to manage it, or they can leave. And I think that it's important to know that you can say, it's time for me to leave. It's like you would if you were at a party and people were drinking a lot and you're like, this isn't fun anymore. Right. And so you leave. And it would be the same kind of thing. This situation's too intense for me. Um, I've walked out of movies before. It's not my preferred action. Um, but we've all done it. Then, um, and deciding what's best for you. If it were my, my five-year-old child's school presentation and I didn't like it, I would still stay on my child's behalf. Right, right. Then I would talk to staff later about, like, why was it like that? So, and I think that any time we feel overwhelmed, that's a sign that there's too much going on, and that's a great time to, to um, make a decision. I'm overwhelmed because of what, and then what do I want to do? Because you don't have to stay in overwhelm. Right. That's, that's a position that would be pretty uncomfortable. One of the things that I learned, and I suspect as a therapist yourself that you know these techniques, 
but um, I use them a lot when I'm, I still do part-time work with clients. And um, it's using what I call the journalistic technique um, where you're asking what, when, where, who, and how questions. Uh -huh. And so with something like this, you know, where uh, you're beginning to be acquainted with the fact that you're an empath and now you can identify what's happening. Uh, when you are in that state of being overwhelmed, to, to kind of um, pull yourself together by saying, what is it that's overwhelming me? And then mm -hmm. listen to what your intuition is telling you. You know, how do I want to manage this feeling that I have? And then listen again to what your heart or your intuition is saying. This is what I'd like for you to do. Um, so that you can identify and then get a, a plan of action together internally. Great. Those are excellent steps. That process would really work. And then I would only add that you have permission to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Nobody can give that to you. You give it to yourself. You decide what's right for you. Right. And take action. Sometimes we put other people's feelings before ours. Like, well, you know, he'd feel bad if I left early. Mm -hmm. Well, take him aside or tell him afterwards. I had to leave early because, and it wasn't about you. Right. It was right. about me. It was about me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I have a family I'm working with at the moment. And um, it was interesting for them to see a situation that happened with their younger daughter who had hit her younger brother. And, you know, I stopped everything from where we were working. And I said, how do you think that made him feel? Cause he was very young, but she had to sort of process what was going on and it helped her, you know, kind of conceptualize. And so I think even for um, a young child that might be an empath, and might be having sensations of what's going on between mom and dad or, you know, another child that maybe is the center of attention because of health reasons or something, you know, that they can identify for themselves. This is what I'm experiencing. And now this is an option. This is something I can do to take care of me. Yeah, that's using those teaching moments. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Conversation. Right. And to... To offer some explanation, but also to allow the child to talk about it. Yeah, those teaching moments. It's right. Tough. Makes a big difference. Um, when you started writing your most recent book, and then, of course, the one that you've got uh, going for, I guess you said it, it's being uh, reviewed at this point or edited? It's, it's still in the editing process. I kind of like to edit it multiple times to make sure that those little errors aren't found by the reader, but they're found beforehand. Yeah, and that is hard to do because my book came out in March and uh, there was still one word that we didn't find. We looked at it so many different times and the way it was found was interesting because I had a friend who is very uh, dyslexic and mm. so he had his um, computer read the book to him. He was able to do that. And the computer read the word as it was, not the way it was intended. And so all of us had read it the way it was intended, but we didn't catch it because it was spelled differently. Excellent tool. So, yeah, yeah. So that might be another way to edit. <laughs> and yeah, cool. is, is to actually listen to it. I don't know exactly how that would work, but um, yeah. he caught it. He called me and he said, by the way, this is, and I went, no way. And he said, oh, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, and the majority of people that are going to read it are going to go right over it and never even catch it. Yeah. But, you know, because it was read to him, he caught it because the computer yeah. actually used the right word. So I have, I'm taking the journey with Matthew book, which in what, what you were referring to is the spelling of Matthew was an ancient spelling. I thought it was like a Hebrew yeah. spelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I tried to bring in um, a lot of ancient terminology um, and setting to, but to not make it, you know, one religion or another. So there's some um, Arabic and some Hebrew. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, how did you ever, I mean, I'd like to talk about the book a little bit and then um, I know we're going to kind of end our conversation today with this whole understanding of your greatness. Yes. But um, how did you decide to write? I mean, it's such an interesting, it's pre-Christ time. Um, but how did you get into that mindset where that's what you wanted to, to write? So I worked with a writing coach in Sedona, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And his technique is to have you get into kind of a, a higher state of consciousness, into a flow. Right. He says the book already exists. You're going to bring it in and put it on paper. Okay. So the two books that I wrote before this one, I did that technique going and working with this coach. This one I did um, on my own, but using the same technique that he taught me and just letting it flow. And it was my first fiction and I'm like, writing along and going, oh, I'm writing fiction. <laughs> oh, this is a cool story. Um, so I don't, I don't control it except that after I write the first draft, then I start the editing process because I want it to be something people can read and enjoy. So I, you know, I don't know if you would call that channeled or, or exactly what you would call that, but there's a real flow to it. Mm -hmm. And this story is, the first one is really, I call it sweet, but I thought that well, maybe that would turn off some people. It, it's about a friendship between two men and one is very awake and the other one is waking up. Is waking up. Having, yeah. And so it's about his discoveries and his shift in perception. Mm -hmm. And then the second book, which will be out in just a couple of months, is about um, Daniel, who is Matthew's friend, and is the one who is awakening his um, growing abilities to be perceptive, to use healing abilities, to know when to be and where to be at just the right moment. Right. So I'm very curious without giving the story totally away. Uh, does Daniel end up with Simone? <laughs> yeah, there's a reason she's in the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I figured as much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very, um, uh, I will share with you and, and with listeners. Um, when I wrote the adventures of Miss Twigs and company, you talked about channeling. And when I wrote my book, and I started it about 35 years ago, and then just kind of worked on it from time to time, but I had a very busy practice in Northeast Wisconsin with three locations, and you know, so wow. I was um, a busy individual. I was president of the clinics and, and part owner. And um, so I just had put it on the back burner. I just kind of felt like, you know, when the time's right, it'll be completed. And then when I did sit down to actually write it, like all the information was there, every single little piece of it. And I, you know, so it just all came out. And I was talking to a friend who actually is a psychic and he's from England. And um, the book is set in Derbyshire, England. And so I, you know, I asked his advice on a few things since he was from England. And he said, well, where is it set? And I said, Derbyshire. And he said, well, that's where I'm from. And I went, oh, okay. And then he said, um, what's the name of the town? I said, oh, I just made it up. And he said, well, what did you name it? And I said, Mount Pleasant. And he just laughed. He said, sweetie, he said, Mount Pleasant exists. And then later when I was doing some of the back history for the website, um, there are three mice that are named Mortimer, Penelope, and Miss Twigs. And um, I had them born in a church uh, named St. John's. And so I, I started looking up and there is a St. John's in the area where they were born, uh, which is um, interesting. I mean, the church still exists, but more importantly is that every single pew in that church has a mouse carved on it, every pew. And uh, the man who carved them is now deceased, but that was one of the first things he did was church pews. And because he referred to himself as poor as a church mouse, he got nicknamed Mr. Mouseman. And so all of his furniture, you know, later in later years had a little mouse on it. So I am, there was just one thing after another that kept happening that did make me believe that, you know, it's channel knowledge. 
I didn't know, um, I, I guess some people that live there surely know, but I didn't know that they had detention camps throughout England. And in World War II, they did. And the mice find a little boy at a detention camp. And in the very beginning, that's how they realized that if you focus on what you don't want, you get that. If you start focusing on things that make you happier and more peaceful, then you get that. And so they, they mm. help him understand the importance of his thoughts and that his thoughts are creating his realities. A story with a message. Yeah. A story with a message. Absolutely. And I'm really beginning to believe, you know, like Greg Braden, you know who he is, but I'm, I'm really beginning to believe that there are so many of us that have these messages of hope and joy and peace and love that are coming together just about now. And there's a reason for it. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think the world is, is changing. The old model is on its way out and it has to be. Otherwise we'll just end up in war after war after war or the racial strife that we've had mm -hmm. continue. Right. So I think that a lot of those things are coming up and really being in our face and being really apparent. I also think that the fires that we've experienced in California are a real indicator that the earth is out of balance. Very much so, so. we have a lot of work to do to, to unite as beings, but to also take care of our planet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's what we see. Um, my granddaughter is, you know, she's in her early 20s now, but that whole group that's, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they're so horrified at what they're looking at. And talk about empathic, you know, I mean, I know that she has a very difficult time handling everything that she's experiencing. Um, and it's almost like her world, she's an artist and her world um, is much happier when she's in it rather than in our world, you know, because it's something she can control, she can create and she loves what she does. But when she listens to the news or she listens to some of the people discuss politics or, you know, the crime or the hate that's in the world right now, it overwhelms her. So I know that she's empathic and she doesn't know what to do with it. Well, she can always contact me and we can do a session. Yeah, yeah. Also, most of us are watching less and less news. And then um, I just also find myself wanting to watch less TV. There's not much on there that fills my cup. Mostly it um, stresses me. Yeah, you know what? I, I mean, I guess this says something about me being a, an eternal uh, romantic, but if I just want something that's a positive, because sometimes even National Geographic is not a positive, it's educational, but it can be kind of raw at times. I will watch the Hallmark Channel just because there's happy endings. And there's Always. times when I just want that. I just want to know that love exists and that right overcomes wrong and that it ends with a kiss. <laughs> and that's sufficient, you know, for me. So I don't know what that's, that's, that's very sweet. I had an uncle who was that way after his wife passed. Uh -huh. Just watched the Hallmark Channel like she did. And it made him feel connected to her. But it sure. also didn't stress him out. Sure. Feel good. Sure. And, and I think people that are like 24 seven and, and some individuals are with, um, you know, Fox news, CNN, you know, those kind of shows it, it to me almost poisons your brain, you know, because you're getting dose after dose after dose of negativity, even if it's coming from, you know, what they believe to be the right side of the news it's still negative because it's beating up on the other side. And I, I don't think they get it. I don't think they see that. They just see what they're watching as the truth. And it's probably anything but the truth. It's been, do you remember when you, I don't know, for me, when I was in undergraduate school, um, I had to take a math class in order to graduate from undergraduate. And I did not do well in math. I, my brain does not go down that road. And so they gave all of us an option that if we could take this advanced statistics class, it would count as a full year of math. And I loved statistics. If that was easy for me, whereas yeah. geometry, algebra, those kind of things, not. 
But I learned from statistics to this day that we can make the news say anything we want it to say. And so all you do is shift the numbers a little bit, shift the focus a little bit, and now you have proof. And so all of this um, stuff that has been about the pandemic, I, I just tell people, look at it with tongue in cheek because it's what they want you to think. It's not necessarily what is all the time um, because some of it is all about which drug company is going to make the most money. Yeah, some ugly truths. <laughs> yeah, there are some out there, unfortunately. Yeah. So, but you're excited about your writing and you get into this uh, place where you probably are channeling um, information from other places that need to come out now, wouldn't you say? Well, I have, have channeled for years. Um, I was just surprised when it showed up in my writing, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's it's being open to um, to I like to use the word the totality of all that is. You know, it's being open and and aware because you don't want just any kind of energy to come into your space. But right, and then that which is worth sharing with others, bringing it forth. Yeah. I'm going to share something else with you too. And I'd love your comment on it afterwards, but my husband died three years ago and I had studied with a quantum physicist for about two and a half years prior to his death. So he understood what I understood, which is that we're just all vibrational frequencies in our physical body. That's all we really are. And once the body is no longer needed, it doesn't change the fact that you are a frequency. You can leave right away or not. So when he died, he was in hospice, and hospice tried to reach me twice, and they tried to reach his son twice. And I, what I've told people is that he literally blocked those phone calls. Um, the phone call went to his daughter in Minnesota, and she called me and said, Dad is transitioning. You need to call them. So then I called them and I got there five minutes after he died. Now what he had along with cancer was um, he had had pericardial effusion, which was like 500 cc's of fluid crushing his heart um, for a, a number of years prior to his death. But after that, he was always cold. So if you touched his hand or he always had, even in the summertime, he had to have on extra clothes because he was always cold. So now I walk in, he's been deceased for five minutes and I pick up his hand and it's warm and he stayed warm for two hours and they oh. said that is impossible and yet it happened and when the coroner got there then and only then after they had put him in a quilted bag did he become cold but up until then and I was in and out of the room um, but every time I picked up his hand or talked to him it was warm and his face still had color. And after he went into the quilted bag, no, you know, then he was white. So I absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that he was conveying that, you know, yes, what you think is true. We are nothing more than energy. So I would love to have your thoughts on that. Masters are able to manage their body to um, stay with their body and make it be however they think is significant for the people around them. So a master's body doesn't deteriorate right away like others. And it sounds like your husband was applying some of that. He had the ability to stay with his body enough that people saw signs that were meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of vibration, there's that wonderful book. Must be up on the shelf. Power versus force. Oh, okay. And it's about our vibrational rates. And he, the author is Dr. Somebody. I wish I had the book right here on the bookshelf. Um, power versus force. And he talks about what vibration is, how everything has a vibration. Every place has a vibration. And that um, you can muscle test to know what that is. So he talks about 
countries, for instance, and the vibrational rate. So I learned to, to test my own vibrational rate to see how things affect me. Does it bring my vibration down or up? And um, how I can manage it myself and how I can check out a person before I see them, what their vibrational frequency is. So I very much see people as, as energy. I also just like to use, you know the movie Cocoon? Oh yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. I like to use that as the image of, of kind of what you'd see if your body was gone. You'd see that little yellow human-shaped thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I don't know that that's what we look like. We're probably not nearly that defined. But, but our vibration, our energy is eternal. It doesn't go away. It just, no. you know, it's like I change my clothes every day. I've changed um, the body that I wear. But I've always existed. You've always existed. That's, we don't go that, away. That's very, very, that's pretty fascinating to look at it that way. When, when he was diagnosed with the pericardial infusion, they had me come to ICU uh, quickly because um, they, they obviously were very concerned when he got that diagnosis sure. because it had been missed two previous times in the emergency rooms. And so this was several weeks, you know, after, and we had home health and the home health nurse called me and said, he has a lot of chest pain. So we knew that it wasn't a cardiac event, but they just hadn't figured out what it was. So um, he was admitted around 11 o'clock the night before, and I got to ICU at 8.30 in the morning, and his legs had already started modeling at that point. And they said, uh, they pulled me aside, and they said he has an hour and a half to live because his oxygen level is only 78%, and we can't do surgery if it's not at 98%, and there wasn't anything they could do. Because it's not like putting an oxygen mask on somebody. It's different than that. <clears throat> so um, they went away. And I, probably much like yourself, I am guided on an ongoing basis by my own spirit guides. And so they told me to put my right hand on the top of his head and my left hand on his heart. And I just go internal. And um, it took 30 seconds for his oxygen level to go from 78 to 98%. And they ran down the hall and they said, what are you doing? And I was still in that same position. And I said, I'm just sending energy in. And they said, well, we can take him to surgery now. And so he lived another three years after that. Oh. So that, that was pretty oh. amazing. And it, that was when I began my studies with the man who taught me about quantum physics and how to balance energy. Because I knew I could do things, but I didn't understand what I was doing. I just knew I could do them. And, um, and I am a Reiki master, but this is not Reiki. It's, it's anything but that. Um, so people that practice Reiki don't do what I do, and I don't do what they do. <laughs> so. right. But it's so good to have a teacher that can take your natural talent and help yeah. you hone it so that it's really effective. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do uh, Reiki sessions or healing sessions on people, but it only takes about usually one or two sessions and whatever they had not been able to get rid of before is then gone. So it's just, you know, but I don't like to, to you know, that's not what I'm about. So I only do it if people ask me to do it. Um, I, I don't go out and make that my calling because I don't think, I don't think that is my calling. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I think the radio show is a part of it because I can bring amazing guests on the show that have so much to share with others. So it's not just one person, it's many people being able to share, you know, their strengths, their talents. So well, you never hmm? oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, so when you talk about understanding your greatness, what is that all about? It's about the fact that I believe that the spirit that is us, the being that we are, is naturally great. It's inherent in us. When I first thought about it, I thought, oh, Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa. And I don't even think that we have to be an, an everyday hero, you know, the kind that runs in and to Bernie Miller and rescues a dog. Uh -huh. I don't think that you even have to be that or that type to, to have greatness. 
think that everyone has it or has the potential for it is the circumstances. It's, it's that um, we reach over and touch someone's hand when they're stressed, or that we um, hold energy and hold space for them when they're distressed. That being there for someone, that's greatness. I think little things that we do qualify, that we keep going even though we're in a pandemic. You know, we get up each day and we put our boots on and keep going. Um, it's things like uh, we're willing to wear a mask to protect others and protect ourselves. We give to charities. We give sometimes to people on the street. We rescue animals, feral cats, dogs on the street. How many times have I seen a dog running down the street and I open my car door and he jumps in and then I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to find this family? <laughs> what do you do, by the way? <laughs> um, one time I, I put up a sign and this kid came over right away and said, I've been looking for my dog. Um, and I have a friend that takes in animals and she just keeps them. She can't find it who it belongs to. She just keeps them. So how so, many and I, does she have now? She has four dogs. Oh, that's not too bad. I was going to, I thought maybe you were going to say 40. <laughs> so. Yeah. Sometimes she finds someone else to take them to. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. We ended up with five cats. It's like the cats put out a sign said, this is a safe place. Come over here. Cause they just <laughs> show up, you know, move in, start eating the cat food. <laughs> so, um, our greatness shows up in how we treat people. It's the compassion that we have, the helpfulness. It's even in our ability to tell the truth. And even better when we tell the truth with kindness. Right. Um, Marianne Williamson said, nothing liberates our greatness is the desire to help and the desire to serve. And that's just hand in hand with our greatness. I think our greatness also lies in that we see the good in humanity. Like Anne Frank said in her book, in spite of everything, I still believe people are really good at heart. Yeah, but that touches me. I really like that. I was reading, I was teaching middle school, reading her story with the eighth graders in English class. Uh-huh. And I had not read it in advance, and I did that on purpose. Oh. It did the end, and I had to leave the room, and I told the kids, did you finish these last three pages by yourself? And I went into my little office to my classroom and got my back six issues and had to get over myself which is just not a terrible thing to have that happen for the kids they um they just show some more about your authenticity right and i think being yeah. human you know being able to identify with somebody else's tragedy and see it um, you know so yeah and maybe i mean it sometimes like with abc news um, a lot of times at the uh, 6.30 to 7 news, they at least end with a good story, a positive story. And I don't know whether the other news stations are doing that, but that's one of the reasons that I watch ABC is yeah. because it does at least give you hope. And during the times that we've had so far, you know, and, you know, since the pandemic started, but probably almost all of 2020, you know, it has really been a struggle for people to find hope. Oh, I, I so get that. Um, I think that there is goodness always, but sometimes you really have to look for it or be the one that delivers it. I don't and know why I want to... Delivering it, because yeah. if you're waiting for somebody else to do it for you, it usually doesn't get done. For some reason, I want to tell you that in February, I went to India on a pilgrimage for three weeks. Mm -hmm. Came back, January came back in February. So it was just before the pandemic. And it was such a life-changing experience. From, oh. Oh. At first, I was stressed because of the, the injured animals or the starving animals. And then and the people. And then eventually I came to accept that that's how it is in their country and it's not mine to control or judge. But you know who they revere is the cows. Yes, they do. 
they don't eat cows and they treat them so well. They groom them just, or they let them wander beside, you know, they walk beside the highway and it's precious. It's so different. So I'm not sure why I wanted to, to talk about that, but um, I guess that it's easy for us to see things one way because if you've just lived in Georgia or you've just lived in California, right, and you only know that culture, right, and we went there and we saw so many things that were different and so many incredible people that were helping people. Mm -hmm. It was really lovely. I saw a book not very long ago. There's a um, place here in Florida called Ave Maria. It's a little town that the man who started Dominic's Pizza, pizza he built it. And so it's, um, you know, it's almost like a uh, Stepford Wives community in some respects because everything is just very perfect. But they have a cathedral there. And I had watched the man carve some of the statues many years ago. Um, and now the basilica is all finished. But they brought the... Um, you know, marble in from Italy, and he was Italian, and he carved these gigantic statues in the fields right around Ave Maria. So we went back, um, a friend of mine and I went back not very long ago, a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> and, you know, COVID-19, of course, has hit them hard too, as far as any kind of tourism. Um, but um, the Mother Teresa shrine was closed. And normally it's open where you can go in and it, it you know, just wasn't. And they just couldn't get enough uh, tourists to make it worthwhile to staff it, you know, for her. Mm. But I saw in some of the books that they had in this one bookstore that she was in a home. And this would have been a number of years ago. They had taken this picture, but she was in a home vacuuming for the people who lived in the home. And, you know, that whole act of humility, that she was always there to serve, to help and to serve. I've heard so many remarkable things about her. Oh, I bet. I mean, with you being right there, what, what would be one thing that you would like to share with listeners as we come to the end of our show that you remember from India? And maybe her. There are many amazing spiritual people in India. There is Alma, the woman who hugs people. Mm -hmm. There were so many um, um, swamis that, that we sat in their classes. Um, I, I would have these, these experiences where I'd walk by the tomb of a um, a, one of them was a person in Mumbai who walked by his tomb and, and went to see his tomb in particular. And I heard him speak to me that we sat in the room belonged to a man named Sri Prabhupada. And, and everybody in the room's aura changed for a moment from whatever colors they were to white. Really? And then back. I mean, so there were just many things that it was extraordinary. I walked down a, a dirt street once and there was a poster of Sri Prabhupada and I heard him speak and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. So it was way fun. And then their whole thing about how they treat cows is so foreign to us, right? Right, right. So that was good. Um, I do want to encourage people to, to affirm their own greatness and to acknowledge what their special attributes are. We're taught to minimize ourselves, and I don't think it's appropriate that we don't have to play small, but <clears throat> recognize and acknowledge, um, do you have kindness? Do you persevere? Are you honest? Do you have integrity? Are you um, timely? Do you have humility? Those are all greatnesses, and there are lists of attributes you know, 50 or more. And I will just want people to be aware that they have that. It's like you said earlier, that if you focus on the positive, it grows. Mm -hmm. If you focus on what you don't want, it's in your face too. Mm -hmm. So amplify what's great within you 
and it will accelerate your life faster. It's a much better way to go about things than fixing what's limiting you. Right. Let's go with our greatness. It's inherent. Everybody has it. Find it. Just look a little bit. You'll find it. Right. And you know, it's really terribly sad. And, and having been in a middle school, you, you saw this in particular. I saw it at the elementary level. Um, but, you know, teachers unknowingly, parents unknowingly, grandparents unknowingly, you know, will make derogative comments toward a child and they believe it because that's, you know, who's telling them, you know, somebody of importance in their life. Yeah, and I'm sure I was even guilty of that too, teaching. I almost wish I could go back and do it over again, but I don't think I quite have the stamina for those kind of hours and that many kids. Right, right. But they certainly deserve, they deserve better and, and things are changing. So maybe there's, I've wondered, you know, if I were in a middle school today, what it would be like, because I think things are changing. Um, I know that my daughter-in-law is in a special magnet kind of a school. And um, oh my goodness, they teach meditation to kindergartners. It is, it's amazing what they're doing. And um, so they work with them to understand animals. They have chickens, they have, you know, different things that they take care of. They look at the eggs, you know, they, they do all of these things. And so um, I think the culture is becoming different, you know, where we are looking at what we want to see in the world rather than what necessarily is there. My favorite example is yoga. Yoga used to be an extreme thing that only happened in yes. <laughs> other civilizations. Mm-hmm. And then we brought it here. And now when someone says, well, slow your breath down, calm down, take a couple breaths, you're going to be okay. Everybody's comfortable with that. So our world has really shifted. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that too. Who is the great teacher? Well, there were several of them. Um, Leo Buscaglia was one that taught everybody to hug. Right, and right. Then, you remember Freddie you know, Leaf that he wrote? Yes, I have oh that Oh my God, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> and then um, um, Yogananda yes. coming over here and making us aware of these other practices, meditation, mindfulness, yoga. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, um, I loved having you as my guest. Uh, would you like to share yourself, um, what I shared earlier, but how people can find you and, uh, you know, to watch for your new book when it comes out on Amazon, but, you know, they can go get uh, the one that I just finished reading, The Journey with Matthew, book one, Awakening. So that's mm-hmm. on Amazon, but share with them how they can find you, Lynn. Thank you. Um, if you... Type in my name, Lynn Cockrum, and then a hyphen before Murphy. Uh huh. Um, I will come up with a web page. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. So Lynn is L Y N N E. Cockrum is C O C K R U M, and the hyphen, and then Murphy. So I'm in all that social media. You can connect with me that way. My book, A Journey with Matthew, but also the two books before that, Living Hope and Unfolding the Mystery of Self. Those are all available on Amazon, so you'll find me there. And you'll find a little write-up about each of the books. Um, Feel free to contact me through Instagram or Facebook. That's great. Go to my webpage. You'll see that I have several programs that you can um, connect with some you can purchase that already exist. I have two things coming up in January. One is the Clarity for Your Soul Retreat. It's an online retreat. I just had one two weeks ago. I'm going to do another one in January. Very affordable. And I brought in three other speakers to do it with me. And the other one is my Imagine You program. And that's Imagine You Changing the World. And it's a three-month program. People who that want that a great program for a lot of people to take too. Thanks. So those are on my webpage, lincockermurphy.com. All right. Well, again, I want to thank you so much for being my guest this evening, um, and I'm sure that we'll connect in a, a future conversation on the radio. 
Um, anybody who maybe is uh, not hearing this live, you know, today, uh, they carry these archived on uh, Spotify and on iHeartRadio and Apple iTunes. And so you can also go to my website and see all hundred shows that are there. And uh, that's at www.synergyconnectionradio.com. And otherwise, I hope everybody has a beautiful uh, day and go out there and make this your very best life. Thank you so much. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one -on -one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.